Welcome back to Time Out with the Sports Doctor podcast, where life, sports, and medicine intersect. We're very glad that you continue to support this podcast. You can get the information on any platform uh, where podcasts are played, as well as getting the video content on YouTube. But if you want to just get one place to find all the content, go to my website at drgarrickthesportsdoctor.com and you will find everything on that website. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. All right, so welcome to another episode of Time Out with the Sports Doctor. And we have a very special guest for you here today, uh, Dr. Don Brown, who is a fellow Xavierite, who is a adult and child uh, psychiatrist and many other things. So I'm not even going to try to go through all the things she's doing right now, but you know, we're going to talk about a lot of what she's doing. But I think the term that's used to summarize everything she's doing is a mental health multi-potentialite. And I don't know if she's reached her full potential yet, but she is doing a lot of things to positively impact not only athletes, uh, but families and children and adults dealing in the mental health space. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Burgess. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing in the community. Absolutely. So if I remember correctly, I think you are part of, is it 2001, Xavier class? 2000. 2000. Oh, oh. Okay. So <laughs> I'll say, you know, we literally have not spoken since 2000. So, but what are 23 years amongst friends? So glad to have you back mm -hmm. on the show. And I'm really excited to hear about what you have going on. Thanks again. Thanks again. And I mean, 20 years goes by so fast or plus years, right? It really um, does. But yes, yes. But we just, we pick up when we, you know, yeah. we just pick right back up when we stop. Yeah, exactly. I think that's part of not only the Xavier experience, but it's the same way when I come into contact with my Howard classmates. Um, mm -hmm. We have so much in common. We know that once we get into the, the real world, so to speak, uh, we don't have these same interactions that we had at Xavier and at Howard. So yeah. We all really cherish those moments that we had on campus, and it's easy to reconnect with people who have gone through the similar things that you have. That's right. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And we're able to do things like this, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yes. To serve our community. So. Yeah. So outside of your medical practice, I know that you are an author. You're also a public motivational speaker. Um, you're an advocate for ADHD patients. Um, you work with the NFL MLB, NBA, everyone. So you're doing a lot, uh, but tell us kind of how you first got into this mental health space and why this you're so passionate about your work. Yeah, so it actually um, found me. <laughs> I actually did um, my psychiatry rotation as a medical student, the very first rotation, because I want to rush through it and get to neurology. I want to be a neurosurgeon. Um, I watched uh, Dr. Alexa Kennedy, Keith Black, and Ben Carson when I was young on PBS specials. And that's all I talked about from the age of six all the way on upward. And so when I um, completed my psychiatry rotation, I, I thought, wow, this was amazing. I mean, you know, patients trusted me easily. It was a completely different perception that I had about it prior to starting. And I just was able to help people in a space where they felt helpless. And that was very gratifying. But I learned so much about me in that process as well. Um, and so that's what sparked my interest in psychiatry. Um, later on, I actually filled my boards five times during my medical school tenure. So that actually was very disheartening. It was my first major failures in education. And I just 
didn't know why that was happening, but I still wanted to be a doctor and I still had faith that that was the mission that God had predestined for me. So I worked very hard. And if you fast forward, what, seven years later after my child, during my child fellowship, actually two months before I was graduating from child fellowship, one of my attendings who's internationally recognized as an ADHD and autism expert suggested that I get tested for ADHD. And so I tested and I tested moderate ADHD was mind blowing because here I am a psychiatrist, you know, at the time I was serving as chief resident. So I'm toggling my and other schedules and right. doing a lot, not realizing that if you're busy and have ADHD, it, it, you know, it helps us to be busy. So mm-hmm. there were a lot of things that were masked, but, um, you know, after treatment, I mean, I aced boards for years in a row, I top, scored top 10%. And I mean, for me, you know, I don't say that often, but it really made a difference between failing and really succeeding, right? And it was just very eye-opening that this is an executive function condition that I had been dealing with since I was born, really. And, you know, my, my parents just really supported me through that process. Mass, you know, symptoms were masked, but here it came out full circle that this was a condition that I had and I really wanted to help other people recognize it and receive treatment so they can live optimally. So that's why I'm very passionate about it. Yeah, and thank you for sharing because I like to on my podcast, talk about failures just as much as success mm-hmm. because we know that they're linked together, right? Um, but people yes, see are. you now. And even when I look at your profile, you're doing so many things and you're working with some of the elite athletes and you're working with you know, all different organizations. And people say, wow, Dr. Don can do that, but I'm just whoever. I'll never be able to reach that. But I feel when we share our failures as well as our success, we show that we're human. Um, you know, I had That's struggles right. with board exams later on in my mm-hmm. orthopedic uh, residency or in my orthopedic training when we were trying to take our final boards. Um, and I've been open about my failures and my struggles as well. But I appreciate you doing that because many people want to just show what they do well and say, you know, pat me on the mm-hmm. back. But when we can tell about our struggles, we make this seem like somebody else can really do it. That's right. You know, when you embrace that, I mean, I learned the best when I fail. And so I embrace my failures. I try to understand from different perspectives why I failed, not necessarily hone in on, you know, the actual reason or process of failing, but what I can learn from it. And that's what really motivated me to understand, okay, this is something that I have to overcome. And not till later, I realized that this was something that a lot of other individuals helped me overcome because I was in that state of of failing period, right? And so you learn so much, you gain a lot during those yes. periods. But yes, you do overcome them and you can overcome them. And so I truly believe in, you know, you know what we call in church testifying <laughs> because someone, you never know what other people are going through and they may actually see themselves in your story, you know? Yeah, so important. let's talk about this since we're both, you know, speaking about the failures, especially with mm-hmm. testing. But I know personally, when I was struggling to pass the board exam, it became way more than a test. It became almost like the one hurdle that I felt was defining me almost as a person. Um, and it was so much time devoted to studying for this one test. It was almost like I could every holiday I had linked to, OK, it's Fourth of July. It's time to take the test. It's Christmas. It's New Year's. It's time to start studying for the test. Okay, I know that Memorial Day, there's a big review course that I need to go to. So it not only was it a test, it was my life. And, you know, I really had to 
as I kept going through it and it seemed to be getting more and more daunting. And as you know, you fell and the stakes get higher and higher and it was mm -hmm. like, okay, this is only a test. I'm a surgeon, you know, I've gone through medical school. I've passed all these things. I know I'm capable. Then yes. this is yes. simply a test. And it was really in my mind being able to say, this is simply a test. This is not my life. Even though mm -hmm. a lot's riding on this, this is not defined who I am as a person. Did you have anything similar going through? I know that you <laughs> were being diagnosed with ADHD at the time. Most definitely. My mom actually was on her second treatment course for breast cancer. And, um, you know, it wasn't going well at that time. At the same time, I was actually struggling. Class pre I say this, I was class president of my class um, because it was most humbling. I was more focused on that right. than focused on, the fo you know, failing because I was very ashamed that, you know, I can't graduate my class now yeah. because, you know, I failed step one twice, step two once and then step three twice. And so, you know, this is the last chance I have to, you know, accomplish this goal of passing this test. Or if I still want to be a physician, I have to go outside the country. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there was again, right. Exactly. You're yeah. exactly right. Exactly right. So I made the decision of taking four months off doing a board prep program. I tried Kaplan. I tried Princeton reviewed and then this do this board prep program. So you're exactly right. It became my life. By the grace of God, I met so many individuals that were in similar situations that we still talk today. Yeah. And they're, you know, OBGYNs, um, psychiatrists, neurologists. I mean, they actually succeeded in what they intended to accomplish and what their dreams were. And so you're right. I mean, we are often tested in life. And, you know, my test was to understand that at the time that I thought was a thorn in my side, it was really a blessing because it really, you know, fueled my passion for now identifying and treating those who have this condition that I live with. And so when I see young kids say, Dr. Brown, you have ADHD? I'm like, yes. And they're like, you're a doctor? I'm like, yes, because all they hear is disability, you're dysfunctioning, you're disabled, and you know, all the dis words, right? And so it's just, it's enlightening to see the smiles and, you know, um, on their face and the pride on their faces. Like, this is something we have in common and you can still do whatever you want to do. If you feel the doctor is something that's enlightening for you to do, you can do that, right? But I still made it and so can you. So I really melt when I see kids stand before me and ask those questions in, in surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, many people and just answer this to my ignorance, but during our generation, I didn't know really a lot of people who had an ADHD diagnosis. Um, and as you mentioned, you were diagnosed during medical school or later in training. And a lot of people are being diagnosed mm -hmm. as adults now. Why are there so many children now being diagnosed, you know, second, third grade versus when we were, is that simply education or now being more keen to the symptoms? Yeah, several factors. We know more about the condition now than we did even five to seven years ago. As an expert in the field, there's a lot of more research. I mean, ADHD is actually the number one mental health condition of the past five years that's more commonly studied than any other mental health condition. So, you know, that says a lot, right? In considering the pandemic too. But we're identifying that these clinical symptoms are more apparent. We're trying to understand how they show up in different environments. We have more communication with schools and teachers in different states. Teachers are now able to recommend that, you know, parents may, 
you know, pursue um, evaluation as before. That was a big no-no. We're able to communicate with pediatricians and pediatricians invite. So it's it's a lot, right? It's a lot of relationships, a lot of communication, a lot of social media has really, really been expanding um, the mental health conversation as well. People are on mental health talk, I mean, on social media, different platforms talking about mental health conditions. And people are, again, are seeing themselves in these stories. And so that's leading them to talk about it. But I will also say athletes, you know, when um, Kevin Love and, um, you know, uh, DeMar um, came out and we're talking about mental health, that really fueled the spark. Yes, Simone Biles, you're exactly right. Simone Biles, you know, all these athletes on these different platforms, Michael Phelps, they were really advocating, you know, for mental health. And so you could, you know, that was huge. Because when you think about the heroes of our community when we're young and who we aspire to be in different avenues, sports is huge for a lot of these kids, right? And so having the conversation publicly as an athlete really, really sparked a lot of conversations that, you know, with kids and, and their parents were talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, And we know the strength of an, an athlete's platform. I mean, they can go and reach people that we have a hard time even getting in front of. Um, so for an athlete to be able to speak out about mental health and say, look, mm-hmm. I'm struggling, look at my body, I'm mm-hmm. cut, I'm the fastest, strongest I'll ever mm-hmm. be, but I'm struggling mentally, that says a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm proud of the athletes that are really using their platforms to, to lead this charge. I do. And I just have to get a shout out um, to Simone Biles and Michael Phelps, who both have ADHD, um, because, again, it's it, this is one of the conditions that's commonly studied or most studied like in you know Canada and Great Britain, more studies in those countries than in ours, but the stigma is so significant, yet it we're trying to destigmatize it. And we're we're making headway. But I, I really, really want to give them a shout out because they didn't necessarily have to come out and really vocalize about their experience. And these are the greats of goats, right? Of right, their absolutely. of their yeah. So it's awesome to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Speak to you mentioned the pandemic. Um, We know that Mm -hmm. the pandemic, we're still going to see long-term effects of the pandemic far greater than just COVID-19, which we're still dealing with now. But what are some of the different diagnoses or different symptoms that you've seen in children, teenagers, even adults dealing with the effects of the pandemic? Not only just Mm -hmm. the shutdown, but kind of getting back to life. Mm-hmm. I think the number one um, symptom I've seen is anxieties and different forms of it. Ironically, social anxiety. It, it, you know, for many individuals, it was more challenging to re, you know, introduce themselves into the communities from which, you know, from which they came. Right. And mm-hmm. this is kind of a different avenue for many, for all of us, because it's it's not like it was before. For any, you know, for many individuals, so social anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorders, a lot of deaths that we experience oh, that were connected with families, friends, colleagues, right? I mean, we, we can never forget the loss, the, the the lives we lost, and God bless our souls, you know, during this pandemic, um, depression very common. Um, so substance use was extremely common. And, you know, a lot of these were comorbidities. So if there's, you know, depression, people would tend to drink more um, because they were inside, right? And we were social beings. And so, you know, a lot of people weren't used to that. But there was people that were accustomed to that. And then when getting out, getting out of the pandemic, it was hard for them to re-socialize as well. In children, we saw a lot of regression regression and social skills, ironically. 
And so many children are just now catching back up to that. About a year and a half behind is the research, premature research, because we still right. have more research to do. Um, but premature research is showing that the, the amount of regression, because school is like a social playground. Right. And so, you know, it, it was very difficult for kids to, to do that. And we, you know, a lot of us just lost time, right? We lost time. So, yeah. you know, I think that this pandemic has affected us in so many different ways. But the great thing about this pandemic is that many people, again, are talking now about their mental health. And everyone has it. I really want to point that out, if you don't mind, Dr. Right. Derek, is that yes. we all have mental health. And it's a difference between having mental illness. So mental health is like a spectrum. And we literally grade that spectrum as mild, moderate, severe symptoms. And then when you talk about mental illnesses, you now you're identifying clinical criteria of like depressive disorder, anxiety disorders, bipolar disorders, ADHD. Okay. So you can have mental illness, but good mental health. You can also have poor mental health, but a mental illness. So, you know, we all have mental health. And I think we all should have access to mental health services for that very reason. So, you know, I just want to put that out there just in case someone is at the brink of a barrier of wanting or deciding if they should seek help or not, knowing that, hey, you deserve it. You, you, you have mental health. You're on the spectrum just like I am, just like Dr. Derek is. So please, 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 if that is, you know, the tool that gets you there, we want you there um, because it's, it's important. It's important. And thank you for that point of clarity of yeah. mental health and mental illness being, you know, it's a spectrum, as you mentioned. So yeah. people feel, I think, ashamed many times when you have a diagnosis. Uh, but as you mentioned, we all do. Either you're diagnosed mm -hmm. or you're undiagnosed, but we're, we all are dealing with something. Um, and many times you don't know why you're functioning like you are until you sit down with someone who can really listen to your symptoms and put it all together. So. If you're enjoying this episode, don't wait to the end to share it. Share it now. Share this with a friend or a colleague that you think might find value in this information. And then also make sure that you click and leave us a five-star review and give us feedback because we really value your feedback and your input. Now back to the episode. Yes. That's so that's that's true, because I, and that's why I don't use the word normal, because for so many people, um, that's kind of their sense of they their sense of normalcy until right. they realize there's something different. That's a healthier way of, of approaching things or of living. Right. So yeah. what's natural. Right. And so I think that's a very good point that you made there. You're exactly right. And then talking about mm -hmm. providers, access to care. You mentioned access. Mm -hmm. Talk about how your practice is very unique. Um, and being able to, you're able to get your hands on clients, patients, athletes in many different states. So talk to us about that. Yes, I actually explored the the realm of telepsychiatry, um, and I've been in the in the field since 2014. And it was interesting because I, I, I there was a couple of companies because I'm a contract physician too for other companies. Yeah. So they, I was rec I was told that I was at one point the only child psychiatrist in this in Houston that actually provided tele services, right? Wow. I mean, I was trying to really get my colleagues on board because I knew that that was one platform that could really hit home and touch a lot of people, you know, even in our own state that didn't have access to a psychiatrist like myself or therapy or, you know, and it's not necessarily just the access, but, you know, just be the convenience factor 
So, you know, I see people in their cars and office closets, you, you name it, wherever they're comfortable. And also they stigmatize the experience. This screen does something that allows people to open up for some many people um, to talk about, you know, what's going on. Um, and then, so my practice, ADHD Wellness Center, and, and also my other practice, Mental Health Athletics, they're both telepsychiatry and telehealth practices. Um, we're, expand, we're in six states, licensed in six states, and we provide mental health services for children, adults, and also athletes. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Yeah. And talk about yeah. some of the, yeah. are these contracts that you have with some of the professional uh, sporting leagues, or how does that work? Yeah, so I, th I thought it was very important that um, I was an independent contractor uh, with professional organizations just because I knew that at the time, many of the athletes were just starting to talk about mental health outwardly and openly. And there was a lot of not really trusting kind of the system or trusting or who to trust and who do I go to and who do I speak with and do I talk to my team and this is going to affect my play, you know, time. So, you know, I thought that if I could take that element out of that for them so that I can really talk to them as a human being first and you let's forget athlete way down the line, but let's talk to you as a human being because that's who you are first, um, then let's do that. And so it was very important to me that I was an independent um, clinician and that's what I do. So I do independent work. I'm referred by these organizations, professional um, sports organizations, and athletes have autonomy to choose who they want, um, you know, with ser serial interviews. Um, but basically that's how I, how I engage with some of my athletes. Um, but my first athlete came to me when I was in practice, one of the Houston, former Houston Rockets player, and he was dealing with anxiety. He came with his wife to talk because guess what? Kevin Love was talking about his symptoms of panic disorder. So that's, that's what led him, yeah, to see someone locally and he chose me. So that's why how I really got into the sports psychiatry field where travel and I started to realize many of these athletes were dealing with a lot and they actually have a higher risk than the normal population of dealing with mental health illnesses than any other population. So it was some somewhere I could feel that might, you know, I could provide value to this community and their ecosystems. Mm -hmm. I like the correlation between athletes, especially high level athletes and professionals of all sorts, doctors, lawyers, teachers, yeah. whoever, when you're under a lot of pressure to perform, it's very mm -hmm. similar. Performance anxiety mm -hmm. or just the pressure to perform can cripple a lot of people or paralyze a lot of people. So talk mm -hmm. to, when you're dealing with athletes, talk to us about that bridge between mental health and performance and how they're so closely related. It's interesting because a lot of them have been dealing with mental illnesses or issues from the very beginning that they were prepped to become athletes. Many of the athletes I've worked with or I'm working with, I mean, were scouted at like third grade. You know, yes. many athletes have sister siblings that are all athletes. So they were being literally, I mean, I was like third grade, like yeah. third grade, right? And so this, this trajectory of being, you know, on this spectrum. So you, you have like this enclosed circle of individuals that really try to enclose in on you, right? And so they'll provide, you know, some of the resources that you need in order to kind of get you on this journey of, you know, becoming this professional athlete, which many of them dream to become. And so many of them have been dealing with their mental health conditions in healthy ways. I mean, they condition, they work out. You know, this is what we teach our patients, right? Is, you know, healthy eating and exercise management and all these types of things. So they do these things on a routine basis. 
But the, right. the downside to this is now they're masking some of these symptoms that they didn't realize they had because they're routinely, you know, using natural um, treatments or managements to handle stress and performance. And they do them all over again, over and over and over and over again. Right. So what does that do to the mental health mindset of an athlete when he's injured, for example, and he can't perform to the expectation that he's so used to performing? What does he do? Or what did, do these a lot of these athletes do when the pandemic came? I mean, I had athletes who were getting to know their families again because they often traveled on the road. And, you know, that was a different type of experience for them as well. You know, a lot of us in, in laymen look at these athletes and, you know, we look at the prestige that and the position that this brings. But many of these individuals are struggling. They're just like you and I. Um, so human nature. But they're also on a platform where everyone sees their struggle. Right. So that's a lot of pressure, not just because of their sport, but because now it's publicized. So, yeah, there's different levels to this. But, you know, relating mental health has been amazing um, because it really just allowed an open door for the athletes to now kind of like take off these heavy coats. Right. And really just lay down their guards and really talk about what they've been dealing with and not feel judged, not feel, you know, like. They're the center of attention because we actually have ongoing conversations and there are more people in the room that may have similar conversations. So, again, they're seeing themselves and they realize that some of their co-players are, you know, dealing with some of the similar stuff that they're dealing with. So that right. helps with the health and healing, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it, it's been a, it's been a great journey for many of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting your if you're watching on YouTube, your website back on the bottom of the screen, because it is a great resource. Uh, for athletes, for everyone to go. You have a lot of great information on there. As I was going through your website, I was looking at some of the common questions or things, statements that you would hear from athletes. You know, people only look at me like I'm a bag of money or, you know, what happens after an injury? Who am I after an injury? Who am I after retirement? You know, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And one that I really jumped out to me was, you know, and this is something that you hear all the time. Oh, you're having a bad day. Take it out on the field. You know, channel all this energy and release it on your opponent and rip their heads off. You know, right. and then after the game, hang your helmet up, get in your car and go back and be a normal person in society. And we know that's not how it happens. So just kind of speak to the expectations that are placed on athletes and how that can be a burden, so to speak. It is right, exactly, and I and I'm glad you brought that up, Derek, because it allowed me to also look at the ecosystems of the athlete and also see if I am able to provide education and awareness of the word, the verbiage they're using to describe, you know, what they want their players to do without, you know, respecting their role, but you know, just giving some insight that taken out on the field may not necessarily be the right way to say it. Let's use some and choose some other words because, I mean, that's why you know some of the athletes were you know fighting and yeah <laughs> like why are you this not boxing you know but you know and i make light of the situation but many of these athletes were taking it out on their competitors and maybe you know committing fouls or doing you know some illegal contact or you know fighting and because they just weren't dealing with all the issues off the court or off the field um, and so it was important for me to discuss that with their coaches, their athletic team, their, you know, some of the physicians on the team and their families. 
Um, and so that's why, you know, mental athletics is also in the business of helping athletes, but also their ecosystem. So we provide, you know, educational seminars and even management for their families, because we also realize mental health may run through families genetically, but we also provide, um, we also feel it's an inlet or outlet for them to be able to talk about it and then understand what that athlete needs are. And that's important other than, you know, what they feel their needs are outside of mental health. So it's been very eye-opening and, and a positive experience for many of them. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for that. And, you know, just thank you for the work that you're doing, because we know that there is a shortage for sure of not only psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, all of the above, people dealing with the mental health space. I truly, when I started this podcast, didn't see it as a media for mental health. Now I'm probably five, six, eight, ten episodes in about mental I health. I saw that. Um, You've had some them. awesome people on this platform, I Dr. Appreciate Derek. It. I, I appreciate it. Yes. And, yes. you know, it's really this platform has allowed me to connect with people like yourself, um, connect with people. You know, I already knew you, but connect with people all over the world about different subjects. And it's really I'm just trying to bring positivity, trying to show people what's possible um, and really trying to uplift, you know, the community through this podcast. Well, you're doing it. You're definitely <laughs> doing it. Um, and please continue. Uh, people are listening and, you know, they're actually you're leading people to places where they need to be in order to, you know, succeed in their careers, but also for their own mental health wellness and medical wellness. Right. Because they are connected. And so yes. you're opening many doors to having conversations about how they connect has opened athletes' mindsets and their hearts and their mouths to, you know, communicate what's going on. And so um, I really, really am grateful of being on the platform with you today and I'm just, uh, admire, you know, I admire what you're doing and, you know, I'm here to assist you in any way possible because I love your mission. So thank you so much for doing thank what you're you. doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. So on time out with the sports doctor, this is your final timeout. So mm -hmm. you've been very open about some of your struggles, you know, about your diagnosis with ADHD um, and about a lot of the things that you've done and your hands are in so many different pots and we can see your passion, uh, but speak to someone who might feel, okay, Dr. Don can do it, but I can't do it. So speak to how just following your passion and keeping your eye on the prize and, you know, continue to push forward despite obstacles, how you can still achieve your dreams, your goals. One thing that I recommend that you do is you have to find what motivates you. We're motivated by so many different things. And that motivation doesn't die. You know, it may actually dim along the path, but it's always there. So it may be in the form of an instinct. You know, it may be in the form of a, a board that you created that shows everything you want to do in life. It may be, you know, in a conversation that you have with someone else, whatever you that sparks your motivation, your drive, find it, rekindle it and keep going. You know, for me, it was affirmations that really helped me. I wake up every day and I speak things as though they were. Yes. And that really starts my day off as, you know, being a positive mindset, because I know that in the day I'm not going to conquer everything great. And I don't see people that are necessarily healthy. Right. You know, and so it's important that I bring that to them. I bring hope to them. I bring a smile on my face so that, you know, in the midst of their dilemma, that they can see that, hey, I can have hope for you and let's work through this together. 
Um, and so I really feel that we're used as instruments and vehicles to be able to do that. But it's also important for us to have that self-care. And so we have to make sure that we pour into ourselves too. So affirmations, prayer. I mean, I'm a huge believer in prayer and reading the word. I'm a Christian. And that's really, really got me to where I am because I understand who I am. But I understand whose I am. And that's I understand me. that the mission is bigger than me. And yeah. so connecting with people like you, this is how we, you know, fulfill the mission that has been destined for us. Right. We can't do it alone. And so that's my final message is you never can do it alone. You know, there are people that, you know, seek out people that are people where you want to be, people that are going to encourage you, not going to put you down, you know, people that are going to lift you up when you're not necessarily going the path that you thought you would go. Um, that's so important. Um, but also lean on other people in times when you need them. Um, and But also understand that you need to kind of commune with others um, because you can't, can't do it alone. Can't do this life alone. That's not how we were created. We're created yeah. to work with other people. So yeah. community. Yeah, you can do find, it. <laughs> yeah, find your community. It might not be your family, but find your community of people right. who believe in you and are going to support right. your mission. That's right. Exactly. Because they become your family. So we're going to redefine what family is, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. So yeah. you mentioned affirmations. What are your top one or two affirmations? Oh, man. So the, some of my affirmations are scripture related. Mm. Um, so one of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, is basically just a affirmation of hope that God would never, you know, fail you. He will always give you the spirit of hope and not fear to make you succeed because he understands and already knows what he's predestined for you. So, you know, I take those scriptures and create my own verbiage, as you can see there, yeah. about how that's going to be applicable to my day. So if I have a, like a big presentation that I may be nervous about that day, you know, I speak to the fear and I accept that I am feeling a little anxiety, you know, but the Lord did not give me that spirit, um, you know, to succeed in, you know, meeting the mission of speaking to my audience. No, it just reminds me that I'm human and I need to rely on him to get me through this. And so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make sure that that's done, that um, I'm going to bless someone today. Um, you know, that's always one of my affirmations as well. And how can I do that? Right. Um, and so, you know, that can be different in different ways. Right. And then also, I, I also pour into myself, you know, that, you know, after my work day, I'm going to take, you know, an hour just to probably turn down the phone and relax and meditate and just be in my own mindset and just kind of what I call, you know, um, come down from my day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, because, you know, having ADHD, my mind is always on. It's always on. It's always going. So, you know, sometimes it's, it's difficult to separate, you know, when you're not working, when you are working and when you work with someone else or, you you know, you're doing other things. And we just got to quiet the moment. And I and I love those quiet moments. I cherish them. I look forward to them. Um, they refuel me and they just allow me to be in the moment and be at be still, if you will. So, yeah, yeah. some of the things I do that. meditation too. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. definitely. Well, tell people, I know yes. that you're, you know, you have your website, but also social mm -hmm. media, how they can follow the work you're doing. Yeah. So um, you can actually follow me on Mental Health Athletics is basically the social media website, but I also have my speakers platform, which is Dr. Dawn Psych MD. 
Um, that's D-R-D-A-W-N, P as in Paul, S-Y-C-H-M-D. That is my main platform. And that platform will take you to ADC Wellness Center, which is one of my practices, and Mental Health Ledge, which is another practice that I have. Um, so, yes, please feel free. And I look forward to your messages, you know, your comments, your questions, your statements. Um, I'm a huge advocate for people and I love to see, you know, I love to help people in any way that I can. And so, um, you know, I look forward to, you know, hearing from people in the DMs, if you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your powerful message. And yes. if any way I can help amplify your message, please let me know. You are. So thank you, Dr. Derek. And it's an honor to be here. Um, and I, you know, wish you all the best and continue the great work that you're doing. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to support this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a five-star review. And if you haven't done so, subscribe so you continue to get the updated episodes. Until later, peace.